Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams one film at a time. Starting with his debut as a film composer in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. Now here's your host, Jeff Cummings. A big welcome to you and thanks for joining me on this episode. So before we get started, I just want to offer up a big thanks to some more people who listen to my show. So I always thank people who send me emails and comment on the Podbean app, but I also want to give a big thanks to everybody who have written reviews on iTunes about this podcast. I've got nothing but five-star reviews, so thank you to all of those people who have taken the time to review the podcast and submit them. If you have not done so and you subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes, Please feel free to give me a review. It would be very much appreciated. Okay, so now take a deep breath. We have now finally arrived at Fiddler on the Roof, which is pretty much viewed as the first major successful film in John Williams' career. Through the years, Williams has had so much praise for the film and puts his work on this score in very high regard. While Fiddler on the Roof isn't the first musical in which John Williams was involved, it is the first one that came from the Broadway stage. All the other musical films he worked on previous to this one were original to the big screen, so he had been a part of the creation of the music from the first notes. In this case, he's approaching a score that had been loved as a stage musical since 1964. Jerry Bach was the composer of the score, with Sheldon Harnick creating lyrics for the songs that have since become part of musical theater legend. The story follows a poor milkman named Tevia and his wife Golda, the parents of five daughters who they are trying to get married amidst changing times both socially and politically. So, given the pedigree of this score and the story itself, it's no surprise that John Williams was a little bit nervous about his assignment to adapt the score for the big screen. Luckily, he had Walter Mirisch on his side. Mirisch, as you may remember, was the producer of Fitzwillie, the silly comedy that John Williams scored in 1967. Mirisch certainly was impressed with the finished score to Fitzwillie, as well as the work Williams did for Valley of the Dolls that same year. When the production of Fiddler on the Roof was announced, I'm sure many people in Hollywood were itching to be in charge of the musical score. Walter Mirisch was serving as executive producer on Fiddler on the Roof, with Norman Jewison as producer and director. It was Williams' good fortune that Mirisch had Williams at the top of his list of people to adapt the score and had the recommendation of others in Hollywood. Here's Williams in a panel discussion in 2014 talking more about taking on this film assignment. Well, the, the opportunity to, to look after the music in, for this film was a great, certainly a great opportunity, but a great challenge also. And I'm so grateful for Norman for entrusting me with this, with this piece. 
The score is really a kind of a minor masterpiece, a score by Jerry Brock, or maybe even close to a major, a major masterpiece. The years have revealed its great quality and its staying power. Certainly the dimensions of what we hear in the theater are going to be smaller. The spaces are probably smaller, the number of, of people in the audience smaller. And we had the opportunity here to project this film in six-track sound, and it, it was analog sound, which was in so many ways, for at least for musicians, superior to the present digital sound, which compresses things. It's very visual, but isn't as warm. So one of my challenges, of course, was to expand the orchestra from 45 to 85, or whatever it is we had, hoping that it wouldn't violate the spirit of Jerry Bach's music, but only enhance the shots and, and the choreography and the direction that Norman had done, and hoped always in the process that the measuring of this was right. Um, the great Hollywood musical, Singing in the Rain, so on, and others, those orchestras were small. They, they, they would probably number in the 50s, and we have now orchestras going into 80s and 90s and, and, and more for some of the, the contemporary films. But I, I, I can only say I hope we got the measure right. I heard a few measures of the chorus here a moment ago at the end. A really particularly beautiful chorus. The English choruses are, were helpful to us because, if I may say it in public, their diction is so, is so superb. American choruses can be fabulous, but we lose a lot of final T's and D's and consonants and so on. So we had, we had a, a beautiful chorus, wonderful orchestra, and, and the, the great cast of, of performers that, that Norman and Lynn gave us for, 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 the, for the film. Um, I could say a lot about the technical shift from from analog to digital and the 35 millimeter that we had to record on and so on, how difficult and dangerous it was to make prints from a 35 master of the music to make a lot of intercuts. Now everybody knows how easy it is to intercut music on, we don't even have tape anymore. So there were challenges that we dealt with, hopefully the I think it has held are, up are, very well for modern audiences, we'll, we'll justified by the fact that there continue to be anniversary screenings of the film, and there were three releases of the soundtrack. So just another quick anecdote about making this film. Norman Jewison walked into a production meeting at MGM and stood in front of these people and said, you know I'm not Jewish, right? And I think he was probably making a reference to the fact that his last name is Jewison, J-E-W-I-S-O-N. But in fact, he was pretty much at the top of the list for directing because of Walter Mirisch, who was executive producer on Fiddler on the Roof. Mirisch had produced the cop drama In the Heat of the Night, which Jewison had directed. Now, In the Heat of the Night won Best Picture for Mirish, so Mirish got a trophy for that movie, and Jewison got his first Oscar nomination for directing it. So Mirish had some good vibes about Jewison, and even though Jewison, like Williams, was a little skittish about taking on this production, I think he did a great job and was a very good choice for director. As you heard in that piece, Williams doubled the size of the orchestra for the film version of Fiddler on the Roof. Many people pointed this out in subsequent reviews of the film, saying the doubling of the orchestra ruined the unique and more intimate sound that Bach and Harnick created in the songs. I disagree with those critics of Williams' work, though. While it is true that his expansion of the orchestra made the score bolder and louder, it was also a necessary move with the story itself growing in size for the film. 
There are still many instrumental touches in the film score that Bach created for the stage, with Williams inserting a few touches here and there to give it a bit more life. And we're going to discuss those in a little bit. What Williams was also able to do was create original music for three scenes and adapt a song melody for the underscore in a fourth scene. While there certainly were many music supervisors in Hollywood who could have done the same job adapting the songs, I can't imagine any who could have created original music that stayed true to the vision of the score but gave the composer the opportunity to put his own stamp on it. John Williams began his work on Fiddler on the Roof in spring 1970. He was less than a year removed from a marathon six months of post-production work on Goodbye Mr. Chips, and just three months or so after finishing the reverse, where he was hired at the last minute to replace Lalo Schifrin's rejected score. At 38 years old, Williams was in so much demand that he had very little time off. Though Williams could have recorded the score anywhere in the world, he chose Anvil Studios in England once again as his base of operations. One of the best decisions by Williams and the filmmaking crew was to hire Isaac Stern to perform the violin solo pieces. In 1970, Stern was a very celebrated musician in the classical musical circles, with three Grammys to his credit. A nice little piece of trivia about Stern is that he was largely responsible for discovering cellist Yo-Yo Ma and violinist Itzhak Perlman, both of whom would become soloists on future Williams scores. Now, while most movie musicals start big and bold with a grand overture, Williams was smart to keep the quiet start of Fiddler from the stage version. It begins with just Stern on the violin, and even when the orchestra joins in, it still keeps this feeling that the score is being performed by an Eastern European ensemble. It's not until the end of Tevye's opening monologue that we hear how much Williams was expanding this score. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word, tradition. For some contrast, here's how the stage version of Tradition starts. And how do we keep our balance? That, I can tell you in one word, Tradition. Tradition! Tradition! I want to add a little side note about the song Tradition. Williams must have liked the way he orchestrated that two-note melody played during Tevye's dialogue moments of the song a lot because it will make an appearance in Schindler's List two decades later. Now, just as a reminder, here's a bit of that melody in Tradition. You may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? We stay because Anatevka is... Our home. 
and then a variation of it in Schindler's List. nice little homage to Jerry Bach, I think. And just to further illustrate how Williams was able to keep the spirit of the stage version while adding his own touches, that two-note melody in the stage production consists of just plucked strings. The film version has a lot more going on without being distracting. So once tradition ends, we get to the moment that for many years I thought was a part of the original Broadway production. It's about a four-minute piece that plays over the opening credits, and on screen, it features the title character on the titular roof playing an often vigorous piece of music. Silly me, I should have realized that this was not part of the Broadway show because there are no opening credits on the stage show. So, to provide some music for this extended credit sequence, producer-director Norman Jewison asked Williams to write original music to fill the space. In his wisdom, Williams kept the violin as the dominant instrument, with a few hints at some of the song melodies to come, but still making it an original John Williams composition. Without our traditions, our lives would be as shaky as, as, as a fiddler on the roof. Thank you. 
Here's John Williams talking with conductor Gustavo Dudamel about composing that music for the opening credits. Fiddler on the Roof, we all remember now, was a filmed version of the, of the Broadway show. And when we moved to the film area, there were expansive uh, sections that needed music that were not provided in the score, the Jerry Box score. With his permission, we were able to do that. The thing that we would hear has to do with the opening of the film, where there were contractual requirements to put the director's name, the photographer's name, the actor's name, all of this, five, six, seven minutes of screen time, which of course doesn't exist in the, in the Broadway show. Norman Jewison said, well, we have the idea we will have a fiddler on the roof like the Chagall painting, and we will see him. It won't be Chagall, but we will see the fiddler, and this, we will fiddle away for six minutes. Okay, so I have to, so I've made a cadenza and a series of little variations, which mm -hmm. you do, and some, some elaborations and so on, another little mini cadenza at the end of this thing, to accompany this stretch of film. I remember having a discussion with Norman Jewis and the director, who can we get to play the violin? And I said, well, you know, I, Isaac Stern, I think he said, you think he would play it? And I said, if you call him, I think he would agree to do it. There were also other little sequences in the film, uh, write some music for Isaac to play, which he did in this wonderfully charismatic, you know, Hebraic style. It was so perfect for the, the texture of the thing that he did so beautifully. So that was my, my wonderful opportunity there. Another example of Williams keeping the tone of the score intact while strengthening the orchestration is in the To Life dance sequences. This scene shows the ability of movie musicals to make moments larger than life. Even though the same scene might feel bigger on the stage because of the three-dimensional quality of it, the orchestra in a the theater is limited to at most 40 or so performers in the orchestra pit. But a movie can use those same notes and open them up with the use of a full brass section or even just five more violins. Take a listen to the Russian dance sequence here as it builds from just a few instruments to pretty much every instrument in the 80-piece orchestra by the end.
And when you match this music with the visuals, it all fits perfectly. My favorite moment of the film is Tevia's dream. Our milkman tells Golda that in a nightmare, her dead grandmother said their oldest daughter should be marrying the poor tailor, Maltel. It's the only true comedic moment in the film, and this is Williams' best adaptation of box music. He lets the performances and the lyrics dictate the comedy in the scene, keeping the music honest and fairly low-key. For such a match I pray In heaven it was me A sign of standing by A comfort and a joy The tailor mortal comes on But we announced it already We made a bargain with the butcher He's a butcher. His name is Nathan Wolf. The tailor model comes on. Ta, ta. Look. Who is this? Who is this? Who comes here? What woman is this? My righteous and the shaken. Could it be? Yes, it could. Why not? Who could be mistaken? Any other person adapting this scene might have gone full bore comedy with the music making it extremely over-the-top, which would not have fit this version of Fiddler on the Roof. So, Tevia's oldest daughter and the tailor get married. Their wedding celebration is interrupted by the local police, who trash the party in a demonstration of their power over the Jewish population. In the stage version, there isn't much music in the aftermath, but in the film version, Williams writes about 90 seconds of original music to underscore the destruction and Tevia's frustration with God over the incident. It takes us to the intermission with a strong and emotional musical moment. Pay attention to the horn section near the end as they play Tradition three times. The second act isn't as bold as the first act, but it still has some great moments in the score. It's Tevye's rejection of his daughter that brings me to tears. And most of all, it's John Williams who gets that tear running down my cheek. In the stage production, a chorus sings tradition a few times. 
but Williams made the choice to keep it as an instrumental with the brass and strings cementing Tevye's dramatic and shocking decision. No. There is no other hand. No, Papa! No! Papa! No! No! Papa! Further back in the second act, Tevye's second daughter, Hoddle, has fallen in love with a poor student named Perchik. After they agree to marry, Perchik goes to Kiev to speak against the Russian regime. He is beaten and captured and sent to a prison in Siberia. This scene is not in the stage version, though. It's great having it in the film for many reasons, but, of course, the biggest reason is that it gives us our third underscore moment exclusively composed by Williams. The cellos keep the mood ominous as the Russian army waits to break up the rally. Then the orchestra goes into a few atonal measures during the attack before settling back down again. The winds of freedom are beginning to blow all over Russia! The news just gets worse in Anatevka. Jews all over Europe are being forced out of their homes, and the residents of Anatevka get their eviction notices. After singing about their sleepy town, the residents pack up and take their horse-driven wagons to nowhere in particular. There's one moment in the film in which a group of people are being taken across the river, and the low rumblings of the chorus humming the melody of the Anatevka song make the moment even more somber. Once again, Williams' choice to put music under this scene put an even more emotional heft into an already heavy scene.
The end credits are not very long, obviously, since most of the filmmakers were mentioned at the start of the film. With the Fiddler reminding Tevye that tradition can still live on in a changing world, John Williams' orchestra punctuates that statement with a full-on rendition of the film's main song. I can't remember the first time I saw Fiddler on the Roof, but it has been a part of my annual John Williams Film Festival since at least 1995. There's always something new to discover about this rich score adaptation, and I never cease to enjoy the three hours spent with Tevye and the people of Anatevka. Apparently, the movie-going public felt the same way. Fiddler on the Roof debuted in November 1971 and became the biggest moneymaker of all films released that year with $75 million at the box office. Its closest competitor was the cop drama The French Connection with just $51 million. The last time a musical won the year in box office was in 1965 with The Sound of Music. At long last, John Williams was part of a bona fide successful film and he was a big part of that success, even though the reviews made little to no mention of his contributions. Surely, Topol's performance as Tevye, which got an Oscar nomination, was a big draw for audiences, but judging by somewhat successful sales of the soundtrack when it was released in October 1971, people really liked the music. That extended to the Academy Awards, where John Williams found himself once again a nominee for adapting someone else's music. When the category of scoring adaptation or original song score came up at the Academy Awards on April 10th, 1972, here's how it went. The names for the best scoring adaptation and original song score are... Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Song score by Richard M. Sherman and Robert B. Sherman, adapted by Erwin Costell. The Boyfriend, adapted by Peter Maxwell Davies and Peter Greenwell. Fiddler on the Roof, adapted by John Williams. And Tchaikovsky, adapted by Dmitry Chomkin. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, song score by Leslie Brickus and Anthony Newley, adapted by Walter Scharf. And the winner is... The winner is John Williams for Fiddler on the Roof. Thank you. I want to thank, uh, for all of us, uh, uh, Sheldon Harnick and Jerry Bach for their marvelous score, Fiddler on the Roof, which I think has enriched all of our lives. And for myself, my thank you list is, goes from here to the parking lot, but I do want to mention Norman Jewison, my Canadian friend, 
Isaac Stern, and my colleague, Sandy Courage. Thank you very much. After 25 films in 12 years, John Williams was finally an Oscar winner. I'm sure all of you who have been following this podcast since the beginning got chills when you heard John Williams' name. And of course, he was just as gracious in his acceptance speech as you expect him to be. And that quality would never change. Spring 1972 was very good to John Williams. As I mentioned on the last episode, Williams would win an Emmy for his work on the Jane Eyre score in May 1972. So John Williams' mantle was filling up very quickly. Okay, folks, I'm going to wrap up this episode of The Baton. On the next episode, John Williams goes back to the Western genre after a six-year hiatus with The Cowboys. It's the first of three very different scores John Williams would compose for films released in 1972. So I hope you'll join me as John Williams branches out into several musical styles. As always, please feel free to reach out to me at jeffswim at aol.com or post a comment on the Podbean app, or as I said earlier, submit a review on the Apple's iTunes podcast app. I really enjoy reading all the emails and comments you send. It really helps. Thanks as always for listening, and until next time, the baton is down. <laughs>